Uh, did this thing called a discipleship? Uh, dis- dis- what am I trying to say, Brian? Uh, <clears throat> discipleship made. Hey, welcome back to episode five of season three of the Disciples Made podcast. Mm -hmm. And this week, we are going to jump in to this idea about developing the coaching team you've always wanted. So when we multiply disciples, that's how we can develop the coaching team you've always wanted. So I just I just gave away the answer, right? All so right. we'll come back to it. Shortest podcast in the history <laughs> of our organization. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Let's do this. Let's jump into the context again. Let's just do the review. Everybody get up to speed. Why are we here? Uh, we read some disturbing, disturbing, disturbing research. Doug Paul with Catapult uh, did this thing called a discipleship. Uh, dis, dis, what am I trying to say, Brian? Uh, <clears throat> discipleship made? Disciples. <laughs> Sorry. I think it's discipleship. It's not disciple gulp or sip. It's discipleship. <laughs> discipleship snapshot. That one's tough to say three or four different times. Yeah, well done, though. Thank you. I'm work well, I'm trying. Anyway, in that snapshot, one of the questions was, what's the biggest gap in disciple making in your church? And the pastor's interview, thousands of them said, 43% of those thousands said that their groups are not working to disciple people. And I knew that the groups could be used if they're properly understood and they're properly leveraged, could be used to multiply disciples in incredible, incredible ways. And so we're trying to get that kind of information in that kind of context uh, to people so that they can start to leverage their groups today uh, to start to do that. All right. So that's kind of the big picture. Let's do the double click in. If you've missed the first four episodes, just kind of walk us like one or two sentences on each of those. You got it. So in the first one, Doug Paul, who was the uh, kind of the chief architect of that research, uh, he double clicked. He was on the podcast with us and double clicked into the discipleship snapshot research. Hey, you nailed he, it. I that did time. it. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that he did. And we asked a lot of questions about that, the nature of the questions and uh, some implications and things like that. Uh, in the second episode, we talked about the big pushbacks that a lot of people will have. What about community and isn't adding enough? In the uh, third episode, we talked about invitations. When we invite people from the platform or in our communications at the church, we need to do it in a way where groups are a step, not just the destination. And uh, and then last time when you and I were together, we talked about the difference between uh, small group leader training and small group leader discipling. And we talked about how do you how do you kind of separate those two and go at them with different efforts? Yeah, that's so good. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, if you're just dropping in, would encourage you walk through that entire series just so that you get the full uh, breadth and depth of uh, of what we discussed in those. So today, again, we're talking specifically about small group coaching structures. And I know uh, when I met you, Brian, we were at Westside Family Church here in Kansas City, and yeah. I was blown away by the coaching structure that you and that team had developed and that, you know, we got our, our friend Bree leading. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, 20 hours a week, just knocking it out, multiple layers of coaching in there Yeah. before we would even celebrate that kind of stuff. Maybe somebody's asking, all right, uh, wait a second. I, I just, 
I thought I was supposed to start small groups. Like, what's a coaching structure? Is that important for me to have? Like, what does that look like? <laughs> totally. Listen, if you're in a very small church um, and there are only three or four small group leaders, you don't need this yet. But it's my hope that you'll hang in there and listen to this anyway, because uh, as you multiply disciples, you will have more people. You will need more groups. That's right. And then you'll need this type of structure to best support those groups. So what is a coaching structure? It's the relational network that's necessary to support small group leaders. And this is being done around the country with volunteers mostly. Some churches are at the point where they are actually staffing this responsibility. But typically, one volunteer coach uh, can support three to five volunteer small group leaders. And so if you've got more, (laughs) you've got to have people to join you in that process. So one full-time staff person can generally coach 40 to 50 small group leaders. Most churches don't have the funds or choose not to leverage the funds to support their small group leaders in that way. And if you don't, then you need this kind of structure. So if your church has 30 to 50 small groups, some of you have that, some of you have more, some of you have less. Uh, But if you have about 30 to 50 small groups, you probably do not have a full-time small groups coach and you will need volunteers. And in this case, if you do the math, you need 10 to 12 coaches. Well, one staff person can most likely support those coaches. But let's say that you're in a church with 75 to 100 groups. And if that's the case, then that changes. That staff person, you now need 25 to 30 coaches And that's often too many for one staff person to support because generally in that size church, you're still doing other roles as well. So if you can't hire someone to support those coaches, you need a volunteer role between you and the coaches to provide that support. Many small group directors call that role a team leader. And these roles are important for providing support, coaching and follow up. For the group leaders. So the question is, uh, if that was a little overwhelming, then well, I good. Was, <laughs> man, I was like, that is like high level training that you just dropped right there in the last couple of minutes. Like yeah. you're, you're literally just giving the blueprint here. This is amazing. Total foundation blueprint for how to create a coaching network. And you know, the data or the, 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 all the literature that I've read in the, in the last number of years is people have tried to nail this coaching structure and it's just so frustrating. Mm. It's hard to do. And, um, and that's what we're coming at. How do we get there? Yeah. So if I'm a small group director, I mean, I just heard what you said. And first of all, I'm not good at math. So I got to go back and listen to that to figure out <laughs> the different you know, levels that I need to put in here. But as a small group director, like, how do you go about selecting that? Like, I know that you built this out, but how did you think through going about selecting coaches and setting them up with leaders to support? Yeah, I feel compelled before answering that to just kind of go back and bring some biblical reference to a structure like this. And I'm taken back to Moses' story. Mm, yeah. Uh, when Jethro came to visit, the father-in-law came in and uh, offered some critique of Moses' leadership, which is always exciting as a uh, young man working hard. But he was exhausting himself and the people were frustrated. The morale was going down. Jethro looked at Moses and said, hey, you ought to appoint leaders of <laughs> thousands and hundreds and tens. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're asking the same question. How do you go about doing that? Uh, because the challenge, it's, it's for a lot of people, it's just easier to 
to exhaust yourself than it is to figure out how to choose those people and then choose those people that properly keep those people trained and motivated and all of those things. And that's where a lot of folks on this call actually probably are. That's where they are. So how then do we go about it? Here's what people typically do. They typically, when they get convinced that they need to raise up coaches and team leaders, they usually pick the best small group leaders to ask them to do it. Yeah. Now, um, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. It's just I like, immediately I was like, well, yeah, I don't know if you're saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, actually, but it's like, yeah, that makes logical sort of jump to sense. Is that? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of business, it, it's. I'm going to come back and tell you that I don't think it's a good idea necessarily. Yeah, I thought that's where that was going to yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of left it that way. And the illustration is, you know, what happens to you in business if you are a great salesperson? You, you end get, up becoming you, a sales manager. Yeah, you get promoted. Yeah, you get yeah, and that's and unfortunately, sometimes if you're a salesperson on this call, you realize that your joy in the work just mm. went way down. Yeah, yeah. And what happened? Well, we. we I'll go ahead and just give you the answer. It requires a different skill set yep. to manage people. And when you're talking about being a coach, you're talking about a different skill set. We'll come back to that. Uh, here's the criteria that most people tend to use when they're picking those people, those group leaders, to become group coaches or group team leaders. They here, Just think about this. You're looking for the people that are the most consistent. Yeah, they show up all the time. That guy. They show up all the time, so they must be the people. Uh, they're the most communicative with staff. When you send an email out, they respond. Um, and the other criteria is, I like them. <laughs> it's, it's a personality compliment. You know, these people are people I want to hang with, so I want to invite them to be coaches. And listen, those if those are your first instincts on the criteria that you use, no penalty there. Uh, but if you start to see those the results of those criteria being people that are looking at you going, I feel like I'm really not able to swim in this pool real well. Uh, that might be the reason. And you can give them permission uh, to, to try a different track. So um, here's another challenge. We tend to set up coaches with leaders uh, in similar geographical areas or demographical categories. Yep. Like I can remember uh, one time when I first got to Westside, there was this list of 100 or so uh, small group leaders, I think about 120 and we had our we had our coaches, and then we were trying to pair them up. We actually put the names of every small group leader on an index card, and then put the name of our coaches on boards. And we tried to pin the people that either were in their neck of the woods, uh, the part of town, or you know, in the in their similar age group. So we we're trying to pair people that way to get some type of organic uh, similarities. The gaping thing here is there's no relational connection mm. on the front end. Um, so with all that said, that's kind of how people typically, that's how I started in the process of trying to set up a coaching network. Yeah. I was, I mean, I'm sitting over here going that, that seems to make the most logical sense to me. Sure. And I'm, I try to, you know, cookies on the bottom shelf, right? I'm just right. going to go at, you know, I'll read a leadership book or something and think like, yeah, some of the things you're saying seem to just like, that's natural. Mm-hmm. My mind jumps to those things, but it feels like you're sort of hinting at this <laughs> stuff doesn't work that way. Well, I mean, it works to the extent that it does, right? And okay. let's give thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, but here are some of the challenges. Most of the coaching relationships are not organic. Like yeah. I said, we did our best to pair, but it's hard. 
Um, and because of that, most group leaders, because of that and other things, most group leaders don't respond to the coach's communication. They just don't respond to the coach's communication. And that's disheartening for coaches. Let's, you, yeah, I mean, it is. You step up, you, you say, okay, I'll be a coach. You, you go to the trainings, you do the deal, and then you, you come out and you start reaching out to all these group leaders, these three to five or whatever group leaders that you're responsible to, and they never respond. You start to wonder, this isn't fruitful. This isn't fulfilling. This is actually uh, disheartening. And like I said earlier, uh, a lot of these people had terrific skills and gift sets for leading a group, uh, but the gift and skill set is necess- is different. Um, just like salespeople becoming managers of people, it's a different skill set. So that's why it doesn't work well. Well, you got the skill set. Cause I saw it in action <laughs> and I, again, I know that, you know, you, you were mentored by some great leaders as well. And, uh, but it, it's still something that's within you. So, I mean, just thinking about all the people listening to this going, all right, just give it to me, give it to me. How did you build this thing that way then? Well, you ready for the ultimately boring, the best answer. That's why I'm here, bro. And only answer, <laughs> you know, the answer to this, you just make disciples. Mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm, like I knew. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. I probably was the one leaning more to the, uh, I, that guy looks like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what we did. And we've already told you this is what we need to do. We started discipling group leaders in the character times calling equals impact process. And so here's what we get out of it. Let's talk practically, nuts and bolts, instead of just having that global response and just leaving you there. If they're developing character, okay, um, if they're developing character, we know that these people are trustworthy. They're more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled. We know that they're mature people. They're able to persevere. They're able to persist. They're able to see beyond um, the, the just the the rejection that comes. You know that the perceived rejection that comes from these group leaders. They're able to serve in a way that's from a very secure spot. If they have that identity of Jesus rooted deeply into their soul through the gospel. And if we're uh, developing calling, you get to identify the best gift mix for the role. What we did is we actually had, by default, some excellent coaches. And if you haven't heard the term reverse engineering of a role description, check this out. Go and uh, find the three or four best people in your church that fill a particular role, whether that's a small group leader, a small group coach, a small group team leader, or whatever, and then do a GPS assessment for all those people, and then find the gifts that are common in all of them. That's good. All right? And then create that profile that you just reverse engineered and do a search on your GPS database of all the people that have those common gifts. Come on. And then you can start making invitations. So um, when you see a, a small group leader, what do you need? You need shepherding. You need encouragement. You need hospitality to fulfill those kind of roles. Well, what's the difference between a small group leader and a small group coach? A coach needs a measure of leadership gifts. Mm-hmm. They need a measure of, in their apest of the apostolic and the prophetic. They have to see beyond just the group now and the people that aren't in groups yet and create that urgency to create the more and not just the good for the people that are here. The more for the church that's not here yet. They need to have a measure of encouragement. They can't just be exhorters, but they need that exhortation gifts. 
So that was huge. That's actually how we got that going. Man, I wish that you could uh, be in the room with us while we're recording because, like, you would see, like, the, the lifting of the hands. and the, <laughs> I could see you getting excited about it. Like, yes, it yes. I, yeah, I can feel the, like, it's a real thing. You're not just, you know, again, this isn't just ideas that you've Googled, but it's a life that you've lived and the way that you've built these things out and invited people into it. So, all right, let's just get practical do the nuts and bolts in a way of like, Hey, uh, you, you've done the reverse engineering process. You, you know, you need this many coaches. You're starting to identify some people. How do you invite them into it? Like what's next step, man? I love this. Um, it's the incredible I see in you conversation. I see in you. I don't do this with a big email. I don't do this with a cattle call. I invite somebody out for a coffee or a lunch, and I say, it has been fun watching you as a group leader. Well, you don't do like a big email to the whole church saying we need small group coaches? <laughs> <laughs> no, these are highly curated relationships, and mm. we, we make high investment into these people because we're asking for such a high level of competency in the return. And so I basically pull out the gift mix, and I say, here are the things that I see in you. Wow. And these are what these are what have made you such an exceptional uh, group leader so far. But I see more in you, and I want to invest more in you. These people are probably as good as they are because they've been through followers made or some other type of experience that's uh, equivalent to that level of disciple making. Uh, and what I do is I offer them. I'll say, you know what? You're a perfect person to come into a leaders made. Because I want to train you on a weekly basis to actually do this and to level up your own personal leadership, which you'll need in this role. And I'll share the the challenges that are inherent to the position. I'll tell them not everybody wants a coach. Not everybody wants it. You have to be prepared to handle rejection and serve them anyway. So I'm just honest about those challenges. And then I'll share the, the value that they're going to bring the multiplication value that they'll bring, the value that it'll be for them personally. Um, they're going to be investing in a few, but they're going to impact many. I'll, I need to help them see, you know, you've been investing in your small group and your eight to 12 to 14 people have been dramatically impacted by your leadership. Let's take that now and go from impacting 14 directly to impacting maybe five directly, but 60 indirectly. I mean, you're a hundredfold type of person. That's the kind of conversation I like to have with these people. And they never see it in themselves when it comes to spiritual things. And they're usually pretty lit up about it. Yeah. And I was just sitting here thinking, it's like, even if this is a person that chooses to say, you know, hey, this isn't the season for me to jump in on this. What an incredible thing to receive, like just yeah. that gift of speaking into their life. Totally. When they are ready, it's like, man, these people believe in me and what right. that does in their own formation. So uh, just thinking it through, what does success look like? How do you, how do you know, hey, we're successful, we're, we're moving this thing forward? This is a fun one to answer. Uh, first of all, you have highly motivated and highly capable and called people. I mean, let me just stop right there. I mean, how many of us on the call feel like we owe something to these people all the time and we're always behind 
and what we owe them for the work that they do to help us do our ministry. If you feel that way, and if you don't, man, I'm, I was just weird, I guess. Uh, but what I experienced when we invested this highly into people and they were serving in their calling and they were motivated by the spirit of God and not just us, I felt like I had partners that were in a kind of a celebration reunion when we got together to do our stuff instead of uh, these people that I had to keep motivated to do the job. And that was a huge game changer. They actually did persist beyond that rejection they got with the group leaders and they got more participation from the group leaders. Now, but here's the big one. Um, we actually had three levels. We had the, the small group leaders themselves. We had the coaches like we're talking about, and we had our mentors and, uh, the highest level. And that was, uh, we had two of them, Christine and Anthony actually went with Bree and me to a training that uh, the small group network uh, was doing up in central Nebraska, or actually in Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, they'd, they'd asked me to be the speaker at that event, so we went up there and did that. Uh, church leaders from Omaha, all through Nebraska, northern Kansas, South Dakota, things like that were there. And uh, it was interesting to watch as we started to go through the morning and then into lunch and in the afternoon. Christine and Anthony were just volunteer group leaders who we raised up to be coaches, who we raised up to be mentors to the coaches. Okay. So they're volunteers. Christine worked. Anthony was a full-time marketing guy and they're up here thinking that they're just going to be going to the conference to learn more. Of course, what they're going to learn is a lot of the things that we taught at Westside, but we get up there and they are actually perceived by all the small group directors that are there. These are staff people coming to them and treating Christine and Anthony like they're the professionals. Love it. They were leading the tables. They were such experts as volunteers because they were serving in their calling and something that they were passionate about. They were Christ-like in how they did it. And here you have all these full-time and part-time staff people from different churches around the Midwest going, tell us how to do this, you volunteers. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Hey, give me those levels of coaching again. You can name them a bunch of different things. I just want to things. know how you named them. I called them group leaders are the people that step up to lead a group. Yep. Coaches are the people that serve the group leaders. Mentors are the people that serve the coaches. And then the catalysts were the people that served the mentors. So, you know, just a reminder, four levels of multiplication there, four generations, right? Yep. Paul That's to it. Timothy, Timothy to other reliable people and to others. Yep. So it's just encouraging to hear. It's like building in that four generation mentality everywhere. So a quick reminder on that. Yep. So what else needs to be asked about coaching structures as we kind of wrap this up? Because this is, again, man, it's another, <laughs> well, you're laying the blueprint out. And I love this. It's so rich to just offer these things and your expertise on it. So is there is there anything else on coaching that you would throw in as we kind of close today? Yeah, it's got to be said um, that all of this is incredibly difficult if you do not have the full support and the buy-in of your senior leaders. Mm. Yeah. Boom. And guess what? <laughs> We're going to talk about that on the next episode. I'm going to do this in my best like radio voice <laughs> in the next episode of the Disciples Made podcast. Leveraging your senior pastor's gifts. That was my best voice. That was really good. Thank you. Nice job.
We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com.